0: I've been here for 22 years, but about two years before that, we actually drove through Chester. It was late, I mean real late at night, uh, when we were living in New Orleans and commuting back to see our family in Marion County, Odin. Uh I always had one particular exit I always missed. It was the exit for 55 or 57, always, no matter what. And even with, with Pam watching, I would typically miss it. But we were coming uh, to to Marion County, and I missed it and wound up coming off Perryville ramp and coming into Chester and Pam woke up. She said, where are we at? And I said, I have no idea. And that was back before GPS and all that. So, I mean, it was, it was, but I mean, Pam really couldn't blame me because she made the wrong turn with me, okay? Now she could, she was asleep and things like that, but still she knows me. Um, We were a long way away from our exit. It was too late for me to make a U-turn to to get back onto where I would have been to be a shorter uh, route. Uh, But we've all made wrong turns or we didn't take a turn that we were supposed to take. And we we look for those off-ramps. We look for those U-turns. We look for those places we can do a three-point turn so we can go back to where we need to be or to wind up where we should be. Uh, In life, we, we make wrong turns. We make wrong decisions. We make wrong choices as Christians. And what happens is it takes us from the destination or the place God wants us to be. And when that happens, we get away from this fellowship, we get away from the covenant, we get away from the friendship, and we're out there on our own. And we're, not, we're going to find death out there. We're going to find uh, disfavor out there. We're going to find all kinds of horrible things out there. And all the time, God is saying, man, just come back. Just turn. Make that U-turn. And... You might be thinking, well, there's no way God can possibly take me back. There's no way. I'm too far gone. You know, I'm 20 miles past my exit. I, I, it's just easier for me to keep on going. But the truth is, whether you're, 200, uh, whether you're 220 or 2,000 miles away from where you need to be, God will give you an, an opportunity to make a U-turn to come back. So whether you're 100 yards past the exit or 20 miles past the exit, the good news is is the day that God has a U-turn with you. And without repentance, church say repentance, we're going to talk about repentance today. Without repentance, you'll never know a U-turn. You'll never know the breakthrough. You'll never get back on track uh, with God. Uh, and the reason why we, we, we sin, we get away from God, and the reason why we feel that in our spirit, the reason why when we're living in, in, a, in, a, in a place where we shouldn't be uh, spiritually, that there's something that happens inside of us with our relationship with God. And I'll tell you the exact reason why. It's because God is holy he's just he's perfect there's not a sliver of sin in god uh just for sake of illustration let's let's kind of look at this water that that is pure that's drinkable that's that's uh potable or potable or whatever there's no dirt in this it's pure you drink it i would drink it uh it's you can see through it it's great water there's no uh there's no junk in it floating around and the moment that i sin even after i'm saved I bring sin in my life, God is saying, dude, I'm holy. You're not going to bring that junk in here. You're not going to bring that junk in our relationship or our friendship. And the reason why God wants me to deal with my sin is because He's holy. And He wants me to be holy as He is holy. Now, God can't have a relationship with sin, never has, never will, because He's still God. He's holy. God's holiness demands, His purity demands that I address the sin in my life. His Holiness demands that I deal with those bad choices, those wrong decisions in my life. No matter what color the sin is, you know how we have white sins and little white sins. He doesn't care what size they are. He doesn't color. He doesn't care what color they are. He says, "Deal with it." Make that choice and deal with it. And by the way, Romans 3.23 says, man, we've all missed the exit. We've all, we've all missed our turnaround because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed our exit. We've, we've all went down a wrong road. Some of us are further down the road than others, but we've all missed it. It's not just one or two people, but it's everybody. If we want to reverse the consequences of our sin, and by the way, sin has consequences. Not good. We have the freedom to make the choice. We have the freedom. We've been given free will. We have a freedom to make a choice. And God, God says, you know, choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose life, choose death. He gives us an opportunity to choose. But He doesn't give us the opportunity to choose the consequences. And so by choosing... We realize that there's consequences. Choosing God brings blessing. Choosing life brings refreshing. Choosing repentance brings, brings a beautiful thing into our life. But we have to make that choice. There's always a consequence with our sin. And if we want to minimize that or close that door, and God can cancel the consequence. He can work around the consequence. Or He can help you live through the consequence. But it all starts with repentance. It all starts with coming back to God. And God has provided a U-turn for us. He wants us to come back to us. Uh, But He wants us to come back, but leave the sin. Leave the sin out there. Uh, Anybody ever cooked real shrimp in their kitchen? I mean, with the shell still on? Okay, we were raised in Marion County, okay? In a little town called Odin. The Ellis Grove of Marion County. Uh, My mom never cooked shrimp our entire life i mean popcorn shrimp you know uh but nothing real we went down to louisiana and people were dropping off shrimp all the time at our house man we didn't know what to do this was back before youtube okay so we we were we were learning as we go and uh, as we went and nobody told me that after you eat your shrimp don't leave the shells in the house because they start stinking something fierce uh, or crawfish, man, you leave those in your house overnight or, you, you know, you, leave, you eat them Friday and you come back on Sunday morning, man, you can't go in your house. It's bad. Nobody told me that. It didn't matter how much glad uh, air freshener we put in the air. It didn't, ha- didn't, didn't matter how much Febreze we put in. It didn't stop stinking until we actually took the, the crawfish shells and the shrimp shells outside the house and put them in the dumpster. Y'all, God sees our sin in our lives just like those stinky, smelly, shellfish uh, outsides that begin to stink. He says, man, I can't handle that. I don't need that. Or think about when a surgeon goes into the, uh, the, uh, the operating room. That whole thing has to be sterile. No germs, no bacteria or anything. Because the surgeon is going to perform surgery on you to help you heal. He can't have that whole thing in there dirty and smelly and stinky and slimy. It has to be sterile. Yo, God's trying to do a new work in us. Trying to do something new with us. Our sin represents... Uh, dirt, grime, bacteria, that when God starts doing with us, he says, man, we can't do that. I can't do that surgery on you with all that in your life. So that's the reason why God's holiness demands that we do something about that sin. Don't forget it. Don't let it, uh, don't let it go unchecked. Sin is, sin is breaking our covenant with God. Sin always takes us away from God, puts us in a, dist- a destination that God never intended us to be. Well, preach, you've, been, you've said sin half a dozen times. What is sin? Here's a working definition. Sin is any violation of God's divine standard, whether by commission or omission a violation of god's standard and a standard is you know if you're taking a, a a test you know 60 70 80 90 100 god has a standard that he has set anytime we do not meet that mark we sin so god has said man i want you to deal with those issues i want you to take that trash out to the curb romans 3 includes and i'm going to throw out some words for you sins of commission sins of omission Commission is positive, uh, omission is negative. Preach, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this. A sin of commission is when you know what to do, uh, but, okay, uh, thou shalt not. A a sin of commission would be uh, me knowing that it's wrong to lie, but I do it anyway. Sin would be knowing that it's wrong to gossip, but I do it anyway. Sin of omission is this. I know I'm supposed to forgive my enemy, but I'm not going to. I know I'm supposed to get my, my finances right with God, but I'm not going to. I know I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife, but I'm not going to. Or I'm going to be faithful to my husband, but I'm not going to. Those would be sins of omission. Or sins of, uh, and so there's a difference there. But here's the thing. Man, you don't have to label them. Sin is sin. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what size, color. It's sin. It is a violation of God's standard. James four seventeen man, just puts it in such a great way. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, what is it? Man, are we all guilty of that? Man, I don't know about you, but I know I am. And by the way, God said, you are too. For all have sinned and fall short of the standard, the glorious standard of God. So, if we've got this sin, what do we do? Well, let's, let's take it one step further. Who determines what sin is? God. It's God's divine standard. He defines what sin is. He calls sin a sin. He tells us what is sin. And if God calls something in, I can't call it a bad habit. If God calls something sin, I can't call it a mistake. If God calls something sin, I can't say, uh, me culpa or my bad. You see, Jesus didn't die for our bads, He didn't die for our mistakes, He died for our sin. God has a very serious view of sin because He's holy. He's just. There's, there's nothing but righteousness in Him. So when God determines what sin is, it doesn't matter what you and I think. He's already told us what it is. Yeah. Jesus didn't die for our mistakes. He died for our sins. Do you remember what sin is? It's any violation of God's divine standard, whether by commission or omission. What determines, uh, who determines what sin is? God does. He defines what sin is. All right, buckle up. If God calls adultery sin, then it's sin. If God calls drinking to excess sin, then that's a sin. If holding a grudge is a sin, then it's a sin. If God, oh. If God has a definition of marriage, it doesn't matter what your definition is. That's right. If God has a definition of gender and sexuality, it makes no difference what, what we think it is because it's not our standard that we're looking at. It's God's standard. And that's hard, man. Especially in our culture, especially in our time, because we want to define what sin is. Oh, it's just how I identify, or it's what I think, or this. Oh, I love this one. This is my truth. Gosh. At the end of the day, you're not graded, and you're not judged on your truth. You're graded on, and you're judged on God's divine standard. And so if God defines what sin is, and as a Christian, I'm on the God boat. I'm on the God train. It doesn't matter what my opinion is as far as defining sin, because he's already defined it. If God's calling sin, sin, I can't call it a bad habit. I can't call it my personality flaw. I can't say, well, this is my personal preference on how one identifies with her sexuality or gender. Sin is sin. Sin, by the way, always brings death. You know how cookies always bring joy? (laughs) Donuts always bring joy. Worst donut I ever had was fantastic. You understand what I'm saying. Sin always brings death, always. Now, when I say death, it means it means separation. It, when you bury a loved one, they're separated from you. There's a loss there. When we sin, there's a loss between us and God, our fellowship, our friendship. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Let me say this. After I was saved, I was saved when I was seven, eight years old. When I gave my heart to Jesus. My sins were forgiven at that moment. All of my sins were forgiven at that moment, past, present, and future. When I got up from that altar there in Odin, Illinois, when I was just a young boy, I was saved. I was just as saved then as I will be the day I enter the gates in heaven. Well, I don't know about you. Although I'm saved, I still sin. I'm saved from that sin too. But God's saying, hey, Mike, you want to be in a relationship with me? You've got to get rid of some of that trash. We can't have God and the sin at the same time. We're going to be, in, we're going to be in, in, uh, at odds with His holiness. You don't lose your salvation because you've sinned. Salvation is not based on anything you do. It's not based on anything you've ever done. Our salvation is based upon the glorious sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross for our sin. I didn't do anything to get saved. I can't do anything to stay saved. He's done all the work. And so when we're talking about turning from sin, we're talking about post-conversion or post-after you've given your life to Jesus. Because the more we sin, the less Jesus we're going to have in our life, the less fellowship with him we're going to have. Because Jesus says, you can't bring that into this relationship and expect us to be good. Living in unrepentant sin does affect our relationship with God. It hinders it, it slows it down, it retards the growth. Throws a monkey wrench into our free, uh, our faith journey, clips our wings. Sin always brings death. Say always, always, always has, always will. In the garden, Genesis chapter three, uh, chapter two, verse seventeen. You can eat it from any tree you want, except that tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will do what? Sin has always brought death. Always have, always will. Second chapter of the Bible, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is. Wages of, uh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ezekiel eighteen four. For all people are mine to judge, the Lord says. Both parents and children alike. And this is my rule: the person who sins is the one who what? Okay, does sin bring death? Yeah. Now you don't die immediately. Uh, by the way, if you die without Jesus, you're dead forever. You'll know hell. You'll know separation from God. You've been lonely here, brother, sister. You don't know loneliness. I don't think, we'll, I don't think a person will know loneliness until they're in hell. ACD said all my friends are there. Well, if they're there, I don't think you'll know it. I think hell's a very lonely place. But when you are saved and you sin, your salvation is secure. It wasn't based upon your good works. The Bible says, uh, for you are saved by grace, not through your works, lest any man should boast. As Christians, we have eternal life. The guilt of sin has been removed. The penalty of sin has been removed. The condemnation of sin is removed. Sin had a death sentence with it, but Jesus paid that for us. When I live with unrepentant sin, it doesn't cause me to fall from grace, nor does it cause you to fall from grace, but it does, but it does foul up our fellowship with God. And I, I think some of us have got so far away of God, uh, so far away from God that we don't, we've forgotten about what we miss. Maybe we've wandered 20 miles down the road, 200 miles down the road, and we forgot that sweet fellowship with God and that peace that comes with Him. But it's not too late. The goal of repentance is to restore the fellowship uh, between you and God. Ezekiel 18, 27 through 28. Check it out. And if wicked people do what? If wicked people turn from the wickedness. If they obey the law and do. Church, they do. So turn and do. Turn from the wickedness. Do righteousness do what is just and right, they will save their lives. They will live because they thought it over and they decided to turn from their sin a conscious decision, a conscious choice. They have decided to turn from their sin and guess what? Such people will not die. Oh, so this thing isn't in stone? I don't have to die? I don't have to spend an eternity in hell? I don't have to live my life like that? No! You have a choice. Now, Jesus paid for your sin, but you have to decide whether you choose to repent. That's on you, and that's on me. The prophet Ezekiel teaches that repentance includes both a turning from wickedness, but it's not just enough to turn to wickedness. You have to turn to righteousness. Dr. Evans in the book, U Turn. And by the way, this lesson is from, it's from our Connect group. It's, we're, we're going through Tony Evans' book, U Turn. Just representing some of the material to you, Tony, uh, Dr. Evans said this in the book. He said the goal, the, the goal of repentance is to refore, restore fellowship with the living and true God. Biblical repentance is the internal decision and determination to turn from sin. You don't repent by accident. You repent on purpose. You repent by choice. While forgiveness of sin is entirely based upon the sinless sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, repentance is on us. Repentance is on you and me. Jesus said that he would save us from our sin, but he's left that choice of repentance up to us. There's three steps to repentance. I'm going to make it real simple. I'm going to break it down for you. What's that look like, Mike? I'm on board. You got me. I've seen the scripture, I made up my own mind. What do I have to do? Number one, you've got to acknowledge the sin. Stop calling it a mistake. Stop calling it my bad. Stop, stop calling it your habit. The bottom is it's a sin. I'm just being real with you. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your guilt. Uh, when you confess something, you're saying, yeah, you're right. I did it. And what we're saying to when we acknowledge our sin, yeah, you're right, we did it, we're coming into agreement with God because if you remember that verse from Romans 3.23, we're saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we acknowledge our sin, we're saying, God, you're right, I'm guilty. I'm a part of that all business. I'm a part of that all crowd. The Bible doesn't describe these things as mistakes or my bads. The words for vi- the word for violating God's divine standard is sin. I'm going to be honest with you. You can go to lots of churches in America today. You won't ever hear the word sin. We don't like to feel We don't like to fill that guilt. You want to leave here happy and holding hands and singing Kumbaya and Joy to the World. But you know, un- unless you 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 know what I'm preaching on today you're not going to be as close to God as you could be. I don't want you to settle for less than a great relationship with the Father. Our first step in repentance is confessing our sin, our guilt, our participation in sin. The consequences of it. You see, sin separates us from His presence. Sin separates us from going further down the road with Him. It hurts our relationship with Him. And here's the thing. Y'all, some of you are 20 miles down the road. Some of you are 200 yards down the road. But uh, from the destination... But the thing is, we all have some things that we need to acknowledge. Some have traveled further down the road. Some not as bad. But we recognize sin for what it is. And we start repairing our relationship with God when we acknowledge it. First step. Second step. Sound like an Eddie Rabbit song. First step. Second step. Some, the young people are saying, who's Eddie Rabbit? <laughs> He's from Rockwood. Uh, turn from... <laughs> Turn from hey, all right, whatever. I'm a big Eddie rabbit fan. All right, turn from sin. He repent. Check this out. Second Corinthians, man, he just puts it out there so well. The Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this. He said, "For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Church say sorrow. You mean God doesn't want me happy all the time? He doesn't want me smiling all the time? He doesn't think, you know, it's all just peaches and cream? No. In fact, man, if anything, Jesus has promised us a tough time. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but I'll give you my peace. Dude, Jesus promises us tough times. And when Jesus, when when the word of God says, this is the sorrow I want you to experience. Oh, Okay pick up sorrow wants us to experience it leads us away from sin and results in salvation so there is a sorrow that god wants us to have Uh, there is no regret for that kind of sorrow that kind of sorrow is a good thing that kind of sorrow is the thing that we need that kind of sorrow is the thing that god is looking for but what's the next two words okay so there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow What's the difference, preach? Well, we know that with a godly sorrow comes repentance, turning away from sin, getting right with God. Worldly sorrow is this. It lacks repentance. And it results in spiritual death. Huh. Sin always brings death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you, church. Such earnestness and such concern to clear, uh, to clear yourself with that godly sorrow. Uh, uh, you, you've cleansed such as indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you've done everything necessary to make things right. Why? Because they engage with godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. You're saying, well, preach. What's the difference? Okay. Let's go back in the New Testament in our mind. The night that Jesus was betrayed. Do you remember the dude who kissed him on the cheek for 30 pieces of silver? Do you remember his name? Judas. Judas, Judas Iscariot. He was the treasure of the disciples. Um, kissed Jesus on the cheek there in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the rough boys rolled in, took Jesus prisoner, and the rest is uh, laid out during that night. But Judas, you may not know this about Judas. Scripture says that he felt bad, had remorse, regret, weeping, crying, boo he goes and he takes those 30 pieces of silver and he throws them into the temple where the priests were, the dudes who paid him. And they said, man, I've messed up. Man, I've hair my life. And they said, dude, we don't want that money. That's blood money. That's on you. That's between. That's on you. And I'd love to tell you that Judas went out and went back to Jesus and said, man, I'm sorry. But what he did is he went and tied a rope around his neck on the cliff uh, on the valley of Gehenna. And uh, He jumped. Apparently the rope broke and he fell down. And the Bible says that his innards fell out. Did he feel bad about his sin? Did he feel bad about his sin? Did he have sorrow? Uh, It didn't leave him any different. In fact, what it literally left him was empty. We can feel bad about sin. Man, man. We can feel bad about sin. and Wish I wouldn't have done that. I got regret about it. You are still in the territory of worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow doesn't change you. You're sad because you got caught or you're sad because, uh, you know, you know it's wrong, but it doesn't bother you enough to do anything about it. So what's godly sorrow look like? Same night, same group of guys, but this guy is named Pete. Pete was the one who was hanging with Jesus the close. He's the closest, He's one of the big three that was kind of part of Jesus's inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Well, Pete didn't have the best night either on that night that Jesus was betrayed, because after Judas had kissed Jesus on the tree, uh, cheek, Peter's out hanging around the temple courtyard where it's night, it's cold, people are out warming themselves by a fire. And some little girl recognizes the cat and says, Hey, aren't you one of the guys that hung out with the Galilean? We can tell by the way you talk. Peter said, Dude, you're crazy. Shut up. I don't know that man. He does that two different times. And on that third time, Jesus has said, Man, dude, before tonight, you're going to say me three times before the rooster crows. As soon as he gets those last words out of his mouth, I don't know, Jesus. Oh!" <laughs> I probably would have went home after that. It's like, man, I've messed up. I'm gone. I'm outy. But when you look, did, did Peter feel bad about his sin? Yeah. Absolutely. Had a lot of sorrow. Just like Judas to this point. And this is where the road split. Judas went down to a cliff, brought death. This is what Pete did. He got right with God. One of the first disciples that was at the empty tomb on resurrection morning was Pete. You know who the guy was who got out of the boat and started walking on water when they saw Jesus? Pete. You know who preached at Pentecost and thousands of people got saved? Pete. That was the godly sorrow. One leads to remorse and maybe regret, but it always leads to death because there's no repentance. Pete felt sad and bad and regretful about his sin, and guess what? He didn't stay there. He left. Y'all, the Bible says godly sorrow is what we're looking for godly sorrow is a sorrow for our sin that makes us change direction and that's what we're looking at half-hearted repentance always leads to half-hearted obedience third step take her in your arms and never let her go third step is this you acknowledge a sin you turn from the sin but if you turn from the sin you have to turn to something so you turn to God. Acknowledge the sin. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Leaving sin behind leaves you refreshed. I want to read the same verse. It's Matthew 3, verse 8. It's three different translations. However, they all kind of present it in a little bit different way. The Bible says this. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. Prove it. Uh, another translation says this. They all say the same thing, just different ways. Do the things that show you've really changed your heart's And your lives. Now this is the money shots in the NIV. Same text. Produce fruit. Church, say fruit. Fruit. Produce fruit uh, that reflects repentance. Uh, Have you ever bought invisible fruit? You ever ate invisible watermelon? Invisible grapes? Invisible apples? We did one time. But that was just a one-time thing we learned. Now, fruit is something you can see. You can identify it. Do you know how you can tell if you have repented? There will be fruits of repentance in your life. And that's just more than some esoterical thought. That is more than just some cognitive realization. That's real fruit in your life. You are doing things for God that you had not been doing in the past. It's not an invisible fruit. It is a visible, tangible thing in your life. You'll know you have the fruit of repentance because your behavior changed, your thinking changes, your attitudes change, your words change because they begin to align up with God. This is what Mr. Evans wrote in his book. I love this. This is cool. He says you can't repent of extramarital sex. you can't repent of extramarital sex and still keep having extramarital sex. You might feel bad about it. You might feel shame, but the action in and of itself is, uh, has to change for it to be repentance. Goes on to say, Neither can you repent of pornography and keep returning to internet porn sites. You have to set measures in place to change the behavior in keeping with the fruit of repentance because if you don't, it's not repentance. Oh, Mike, I feel bad for my sin, or I feel bad when I sin. Well, duh. Let's take it a step further. Let's get to the godly sorrow. How can you start that process of change? How can you get into it? You can start by maybe setting some boundaries. You know, maybe if a, if it's a person that sets you off, maybe you limit the time you're with them. Maybe if it's some type of uh, maybe it's maybe you're overdoing something. Maybe you're overdoing smoking. Over uh, over. Overdoing drinking. Uh, by the way, the Bible says drinking to excess is the issue. Okay, maybe maybe those things don't take place until five o'clock at night. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm throwing some ideas out. But you begin by setting boundaries. It begins by setting these things up in your life. Maybe you need to. Maybe you need to confess it to somebody, a good trusted friend. Don't put it on Facebook. That's not real to begin with. Okay, that's not reality. Nobody's life is as good as it looks online. Nobody's. Nobody looks as good as they do online. They're using filters. Y'all, you've got a filter too. It's called the blood of Jesus. And everything in your life is filtered through his blood. That's joy. That's peace. That's happiness. Every time we put up sin, we we are putting a blockade up against God's presence in our life. Repentance involves returning to God. And here's the thing, y'all, it's not a push button thing. It's not a one and done. Repentance is a process. Okay, I repented when I was eight years old. Do you know what kind of sin an eight-year-old boy had to repent of? Not much. Enough. I've got more sin to repent now as an older man than I did at the beginning. And that's where I start. That stuff that I accumulate during, during my life now. And James tells us what that looks like. James 4, 7. So humble yourselves, who? Before God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Come close to God. And guess what? God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Remember the different kinds of sorrow? Dang. Don't you love it when the Bible just interprets itself? Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. Humble ourselves means this. We say, God, I ain't all that and a bag of chips. I am jacked up. I need you. I'm broken. I need you. I'm flawed. I need you. To really make that U-turn, to overcome the devil's dominance in your life. It starts with repentance. It starts with sorrow. It starts with grieving over our sin, but also godly sorrow that we leave the sin and get closer to God. All right, I'm done. Uh, The main point for today, repentance is the master key that unlocks repentance. Repentance is, I'm sorry, repentance is the master key that unlocks your freedom, that helps you make that U-turn, get your breakthrough. And that's a choice that you make. Our deliverance is, is in our repentance. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Now repent of your sins and turn. Remember, if you turn from sin, you have to turn to something. You turn from sin, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Praise God. So if I repent and return, he's going to sin refreshing. Look at verse 20 then times of refreshment will come from the presence, the covenant, the fellowship of the Lord. And it will, and He will again send Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for He must remain in heaven until the time of your final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through His holy prophets. Church, Jesus is coming back, and in the meantime, I want to get as close to Him as I possibly can. And that means I've got some U-turns I need to make. I've got some repentance I need to do. Your release from that steaming pile of consequences of selfish choices starts with the repentance of personal sin. Repent, return, refresh. Simple, right? I can do this this afternoon. I've got this on lock. Uh-uh, baby. It's easy to, uh, it's easy to explain. It's harder than fire to do. It's difficult to do. It's arduous, man. It's tough. Uh, many times the reason why we make things simple is because we simply try to make them too hard we think if we repent it means that you know today we claim by faith and victory over our sin or whatever and then bad gum by this afternoon we're doing the same thing going right back so we beat ourselves up listen to me repentance really is not a one and done i'm going to free some of you up today repentance is a process And I'm not saying God can't deliver or redeem or heal you like that. I'm not saying that. God can do whatever He wants. I'm just telling you what I've experienced in my life. It's usually pretty gradual. How does it start? It starts with one step. The Word of God says, Mike, have a life that has the fruit of repentance. If I make one step in the right direction, that's a proof. If I make one step back to my destination with God, that's a positive thing. If I make one step back to Him, I'm now at least trying to get back in the right direction. I'm trying to make my three-point turn, uh, three turn. I'm trying to get my U-turn. And you know what? I don't think God said, is that the best you can do? He already knows the best I could do. And He still says, yeah, to send His Son because I couldn't do nothing. So, you know what? When I saw my baby boys take a step towards us, mom, uh, me and mom, it was sloppy and clumsy, and that was okay. That was fine. We're making progress. You know what, church? I'm not telling you you have to eat the entire elephant of your sin today, but you can start with a bite. Maybe it's setting a boundary. Maybe it's holding. Maybe it's going to. A, a, maybe it's going to celebrate recovery. Maybe it's having somebody in your life that that you can be accountable to. Somebody you can trust. Somebody who's not going to sh- shout your business and your personal stuff all over the place. But it has to start. And uh, hmm. let's let's go back to our. Our pitcher. God is holy and just and must upon us sin. There's no dirt in God. He's pure. The moment I get saved, my soul is pure. The moment I get saved, my sins are, are gone. But even after I've got saved, man, there's I pick up sin. I'm gonna put some dirt in there because sin is dirty. Sin stains us. Sin slows down our relationship with God. Now here some of us might have three or four pinches in there, and some of us might have put in a whole cup. But you know those three little pinches I put in there, it wasn't much. There you go. Take a drink. How much dirt are you willing to have in your life? With God. Oh, it's just a little dirt. No big deal. Just a little bit. Man, when God sees it, it's like, dude, that's horrible. And we want a holy God who is pure and holy and infallible and without sin to be our best buddy and to travel life, travel through life with us together, we can't. We ain't going to keep up. We ain't going to keep close. And we ain't going to keep true. Well, Brother Mike, it's just a little dirt. It's just three little old pinches. Here, take a drink. Have a swig. That's how God looks at our sin. That's how God looks at it. He loves us. Our salvation is not based upon that. It's based upon Jesus. But how we walk with Him from that point forward, man, that has everything to do with repentance. And if you've gotten out of where God wants you to be, that has everything to do with the U-turn. And you don't make the U-turn without acknowledging your sin, turning from sin, and returning to God. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed. Sin contaminates our lives. It draws us from God. And it even puts us at a place where we can worship idols. We're going to talk more about the idols next week. Sin's made your, the water of your life undrinkable and unusable. Sin contaminates your soul. It doesn't matter if it's just a pinch or a cup of it. And God doesn't want. God wants about as much to do with sin as you want to drink out of that dirty water. Some of us are 20 miles past the exit. Some of us are... 300 yards past the exit. But God's holiness demands that we address our sin, that we repent of our sin, deal with our sin, even after we've been saved. Today you may find yourself heading in the wrong direction. What are you going to do about it? Maybe today there's a little bit more dirt in your your water than what you really are comfortable with. What are you going to do about it? Today, the whole idea of bringing sin into your relationship with God. Today, maybe you saw in a real way that you know that, that was, those two things can't mix. Holiness cannot mix with sin. Never has, never will. You may find yourself heading in that wrong direction. What are you going to do about it? My, my, I encourage you to take a step towards your U-turn today. I encourage you to take a step towards your U-turn. Maybe it's going to just be acknowledge the sin. Yep, I've got this in my life. I, I'm guilty. Start with that. Or maybe you want to take a step to turn away from sin. Set in a boundary. So you know, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink until 5 or whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get to the point where I can't do what I need to do. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's what you see online. Or maybe it's the way you talk with coworkers. They wouldn't even know you are a Christian. Maybe it's, maybe it's blue language. Maybe you treat your parents like crud. There's no respect for your parents. I Man, that's a great place to start. I'm asking you to take a step towards your U turn. You don't got to eat the whole elephant, but start with one step. And that step is a fruit of repentance. If I could, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Dang it. Lord God, as we go into this time of invitation, I pray that you would call those that you're calling today. Father, maybe there's somebody in this room who needs to take a step to represent as a fruit of repentance. Lord, I pray for every soul that's going to step out today and make a decision, make a change. It might be a small change, but it's the fruit of repentance. It's not the last step they'll take, Lord, but it's the first one they'll take. Because every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You know, today you might find yourself here and you're thinking, Well, Mike, I'd love to repent of my sin, but first I I need to have forgiveness of my sin. Jesus loves you so much. He paid the price for your sin, paid for the penalty of your sin. All you have to do is receive it by faith. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, lived life, died on a cross, was buried and rose again. If you believe that today and you're ready to repent of your sin, I I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I'm in desperate need of forgiveness. I know without you I'm lost. Without you, heaven is not my home. But Jesus, today, I profess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that You are the Son of God. You died in my place and on the third day rose again, giving me victory over sin, death, and the grave, now and forevermore. Lord God, today, I repent of my sin. I acknowledge my sin, turn from my sin, and turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation, so rich and full. As every head continues to be bowed and every eye closed. Man, if you said that prayer today for the first time, or maybe you said that prayer as a way to reaffirm your faith in him, welcome home or welcome back home. For those of you who want to go a little bit deeper, I want to open up the invitation. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has revealed to you a particular sin that you need to make steps away from. Then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take that step forward and just up here at the front, this old-fashioned stair, this old-fashioned altar where thousands of people before you have come and prayed to God, made decisions for God. You'll get to add on to what they've done. Today, if you like to surrender something to God or make a commitment to God. Because you want to start that U-turn. Then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward to pray. If you can stay here 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a couple minutes. That's between you and God. It's none of my business. But what a way to seal the deal today. Almighty God, as we continue the invitation, extend the invitation, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of your listeners and your children. And it's in your name I pray.